Welcome to Voices of Baby Loss, presented by me, Caroline Verdon. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and Jen Coates, who is the Director of Bereavement Support and Volunteering at SANS. SANS is a UK-based charity whose purpose is to save babies' lives and support bereaved families. We also aim to give a voice to parents who've been touched by pregnancy and baby loss. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SANS Charity and on Twitter at SANS UK. Which is also where you can get in touch with us if you'd like to comment on or get involved in the podcast. We are both touched by baby loss and so this topic is really close to our hearts. Coming up on this week's episode. The National Bereavement Care Pathway is a best practice programme which takes the excellent elements of bereavement care that have been shared and evaluated and evidenced across the UK over years and put them together into one pathway which enables healthcare professionals to help parents navigate their bereavement journey. A massive part of the training is actually talking about those stresses and strains and sort of talking about how we can best support our midwives and and training makes all the difference in terms of confidence. One thing about midwifery and maternity is we hold your documentation a lot longer, up to 25 years, so it means you have the opportunity to go back at any point to ask for that. It also means that the things that were able to be be on an A4 piece of paper will be kept with your files so hands footprints any photos you can still have access to them. Welcome to episode 12 so this week we wanted to talk about the support that's available for healthcare professionals that helps them to deliver just excellent bereavement care. So we spoke to Mark Harder who is head of bereavement care and hospital liaison at SANS and heads up the National Bereavement Care Pathway and he speaks about the importance of healthcare professionals getting the support they need and the difference it can make to families. That's about ensuring that healthcare professionals have the tools, have the communication skills and have the resources and the support that they need to provide high quality bereavement care because clearly you know we're we're, we're not out there in 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 the labour ward, in the maternity setting, in in the gynae ward or the the early pregnancy clinic Um, but what we can do is to equip healthcare professionals, as I say, with the, the words to say and the right things to do, really. So hence creating the National Bereavement Care Pathway, which is um, essentially a, a best practice um, programme, which takes the excellent elements of bereavement care that have been shared and evaluated and evidenced across the UK over years and put them together into one pathway, which enables healthcare professionals to help parents navigate uh, their bereavement journey obviously i'm i'm not from a an nhs or a medical background and and i've heard the words of bereavement care pathway but i don't really i don't really understand what that means and whether that's something that every hospital has to have or does have so um bereavement care what we mean by bereavement care is the care that is provided by healthcare professionals that is perhaps not medical or clinical care uh, at the time the baby dies and and shortly afterwards, but is the care that is provided um, in that next part of the journey. So that would be, for example, uh, making memories. So having the opportunity to spend time or enabling parents to have the opportunity to spend time with their baby, with their loved ones, in a preferably in a, a separate bereavement room or bereavement suite. It's giving them the opportunity to open and access and use a a memory box 
that may have a memory book in there. It may have a, a little CD. It might have a teddy bear. It might have plaster cast to be able to do um, hand and footprints, uh, a little, little locket, that kind of thing. So that's part of a bereavement care journey. But it's also some of the sort of hospital elements in the sense that uh, it's really important for healthcare professionals to ensure that they are signposting parents to the care they're going to need, but also communicating with their colleagues, both within their department, in other departments within the same hospital trust, and indeed out to the community, the community healthcare professionals, such as a GP, so that they know what's happened as well and to the best of their ability are able to give them a continuity of, of bereavement care uh, that the parent will really need. And so when you put together this or when this pathway is sort of put together and this is the this is the best and this is what will help parents, is it something that then just gets drawn out across all of all of the NHS hospitals or how does that then work? So it's like different each four nations of the UK. Initially we started the National Bereavement Care Pathway in twenty seventeen and we've been working with Royal Colleges uh, professional Royal Colleges, Royal College of Midwife, Royal College of Nursing, for example, uh, as well as our other charity partners and NHS organisations, we, we got together a steering group or a core group and working with 11 pilot sites in England, this is, because initially we had a grant from the Westminster government to pilot the, the NBCP or the National Bereavement Care Pathway in England, we worked with them on a set of guidelines. We did a call for evidence and around 30 hospital trusts and boards from across the UK contributed to that. So we had this first set of guidelines, if you like, that was then trialled in 11 pilot sites in England between October of 2017 and uh, April of 2018. Another 21 sites, I think it was, came on board in April 2018 for another year. And so by April of 2019, we had 32 hospital sites using the bereavement care pathway, feeding back all the while to say this bit works, this bit maybe less so. Parents were uh, surveyed and interviewed by an external evaluator, an independent evaluator, whose report we published in May of 2019. And it showed that the pathway works, that it's well regarded by busy healthcare professionals and by parents too, were able to express uh, satisfaction if ever you can be satisfied but I think you'll know what I mean satisfaction with the bereavement care that they received after the death of their baby and then since then we've been rolling it out in England it's on a voluntary basis at the moment unfortunately there isn't a firm mandate to all NHS England trusts to adopt the national bereavement care pathway but as we stand today, 105 hospital trusts have voluntarily signed up and we've only got about 20 or so to go. So well over 80 percent in England who've signed up to the National Bereavement Care Pathway to say we are committed to doesn't necessarily mean they're at that gold standard right now, but they are committed to each time and every time there is a pregnancy loss or the, the death of a baby that they will commit to providing the highest quality care and to commit to the nine standards of care, which maybe I'll, I'll talk about in a, in a moment or two. But uh, just to say in the other three nations as well, in Scotland, the National Bereavement Care Pathway has been taken on by the Scottish Government. They've commissioned SANS again with our partners to develop 
the National Bereavement Care Pathway Scotland programme. And in Scotland, it's slightly different because it's part of the government's, Scottish government's Best Start programme. So actually, all hospital boards are compelled to use the National Bereavement Care Pathway by the winter of 23-24, so from now, so another 12 to 18 months' time. And so actually there, although we are using a similar program we've had four early adopter boards and now we've got another few coming on board this winter before a final rollout it's in the ba- on the basis that all boards will have to do so in the next 18 months in wales there is a program from the welsh government at the moment that is around bereavement care more generally sort of at that higher level if you like and a number of work strands coming off of that are work streams and um, one of those is a bereavement pathway for uh, baby loss and we've been delighted over the last few months to work with them and a steering group to start to look at a framework for a bereavement care pathway in Mm. Wales whether it becomes the NBCP or National Bereavement Care Pathway in Wales with the same logo and what have you I think sort of remains to be seen but um, certainly made quite a bit of progress in Wales over the last few months and in Northern Ireland we've had a lot of interest from individual health boards as we have in Wales actually so we've shared the information that we have but as you'll be aware unfortunately with the the political situation in Northern Ireland at the moment um, kind of means that we haven't been able to push that forward even though there is a great enthusiasm to adopt the National Bereavement Care Pathway there because our overall vision is is for the whole of the UK that anybody who is affected by pregnancy loss or the death of a baby should receive the same as in equalized individualized safe and sensitive care that is parent-centered so to the same standard i mean but in a parent-centered way to ensure that they receive the care that they need that's specific to their type of loss one of the things important things i should add is is that actually that the, the pathway itself covers all five experiences of pregnancy loss and the death of a baby. So where SANS traditionally has perhaps been known as stillbirth and neonatal death, clearly we are here for anybody affected by the death of a baby and we'll work to support anybody who, whose baby has died through other experiences. But this pathway covers the earlier losses, miscarriage, ectopic and molar pregnancies, termination of pregnancy for fetal anomaly, stillbirth, neonatal death and the sudden unexpected death in infancy up to 12 months in England and up to 24 months in Scotland. So so therefore it is a very broad ranging pathway and the idea is that there should be a consistency of care. You know we talk in Sands a lot about there being no hierarchy in grief and because one family's baby sadly died at 10 weeks that that is um, no less of a loss to them than a baby who was born at term to another family and because one baby was lost at sort of 16 weeks why should that care be any different to a baby who died at 36 weeks so it's about trying to ensure that those care pathways are as high quality and and as similar as they can be given the circumstances so regardless of the gestation regardless of the circumstances of loss regardless of the location whether it's you know in any of the four countries of the UK or indeed whether it's you know at home in a hospital setting in an ambulance wherever that the care that those parents are going to receive 
on that bereavement care journey should be uh, of equal quality. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the memory box and how healthcare professionals can use that and the contents of the memory box as a tool for those difficult conversations and those enabling conversations and help parents to start to make memories. Mm. And one of the things that when we reviewed our memory box, we got feedback from bereaved parents who, and there's a quote that stayed with me always, which was, are they my memories if I didn't make them? And how we can make sure that healthcare professionals feel confident that it's the process that is important and those conversations that in, is important, not the contents of the box, if that makes mm. sense. So what's in the box in terms of the blanket so that that can be wrapped around the baby and either left with the baby or kept in the memory box um, forever um, so that the scent of the baby is there and the baby details book that can be filled in by the parents in the same way that they would fill in a book if their baby had lived and the certificate of birth and those things around recognition of the baby are so important. Um, but it's actually those conversations that you can have with parents whilst you're showing them the contents of the box or supporting them in taking hand and footprints, for example, or taking a lock of hair to put in the little bag. It, it's, it's, it's as much about the process as things in the box. And one of the reasons we don't have a box that's full of things is because we want parents to add to it over time, um, but also that the, the things that are there that are very carefully chosen and there to facilitate that space and those conversations and that sort of safety around having time with your baby and what you can and what parents sometimes say, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do that? And actually the box is there to enable those conversations, to enable parents to do what they need to do to be able to start their bereavement journey in the most positive way they possibly can and to give them choices in a situation where they haven't had a choice. And how do the boxes work in terms of how do hospitals get hold of them? Do they have to be a member? Do they have to be on the pathway? How does that work? No, they just simply come to Sands and order them. Um, they're free, and so they can order a, a set number from our supplier, and, and they'll get sent to them. But to pick up your point, Jen, I think you're absolutely right. They are so helpful, not just because the things that are there or the box itself, but the conversations that it enables healthcare professionals to have and helps newly bereaved parents begin to come to terms with that um, shocking news that they've just received and to start talking about elements of their journey and to be able maybe to to, to assess how that how those parents are doing in those early hours or days of their of their bereavement journey so I think I think you're right for some they'll really really appreciate the opportunity to write things down others will appreciate something more tactile like the teddy bear others will appreciate the blanket to be able to hold or to, or to smell others will want the practicality of creating those handle footprints and and what what bereavement midwives and bereavement teams are able to do as well is to enable photos to be taken as well and that can also be an incredibly helpful aspect of memory making and of that early part of that bereavement care journey because there's so many skilled photographers now you know through, through some of the charities that those bereavement midwives work with who might come in f free of charge and create some some wonderful 
you know, really poignant black and white photos. And increasingly now, those um, photos are able to be taken of those babies who are lost much earlier on as well in, in an appropriate way um, to that loss and to that family. So there's some incredible things that can be done um, early on, which to some may seem like quite a strange concept. But again, if you if you listen to the feedback from San's parents, the, the vast majority say it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. And I'm so glad we had that opportunity. And, uh, and, and that's what, what parents tell us. And so therefore, that's what we encourage healthcare professionals to provide wherever they possibly can. It's interesting that you talk about, uh, are they really my memories if I haven't been able to make them? Because when when we lost Alex, we didn't have a, a SANS box. We had a box from the hospital and the midwife gave us a, a memory stick as we were leaving and the midwife had taken some photos. It hadn't even occurred to me to, to take photos. It just, you know, it wasn't on my radar and, and none of those things had occurred to me. I thought the day before about, I wish I could take some hands and footprints, but... It, it, we didn't have enough time. The shops, it was, the shops were shut and I was looking online to see, could I go and get some, a plaster cast, you know, what do I need to do? And I, there just wasn't enough time for us to, to get any. Um, and so I felt at the time, I really wish I could have had that, but having been given those photos, they are so precious to still be able to have something you know, when you don't have your child there, when there's, you know, you don't have those drawings or those, you know, memories to make, to remind you that, to almost to remind you that the feelings that you're feeling aren't made up. This isn't a fantasy. Um, you know, your baby was real and this is really something that happened. Um, but I think the ability to take photos with your baby and to have those photos and to take those, you know, moulds or whatever yourself and to make those memories in that way, that's that's incredible to think that that's something that so many hospitals are now are now doing as a as a as a rite of passage. That's right. And I think it's something that's developed over over the forty or so years that SANS has been uh, operating, I think back to some of the things that our founders shared at our 40th anniversary three or four years ago and the, the experiences they had of bereavement or, or not bereavement care clearly uh, at the end of the 70s and how things have, have moved on so much since then. And as, as we've been talking about, you know, the opportunity to take photos and the opportunity to have a a, a cast of a you know footprint for example or, or um, fingerprints that sort of thing um is is such an amazing thing and jen will know much better than than me that the, the theory of continuing bonds that we talk about in our training um and how important that is to um newly bereaved families because it is so you know if you think about the so-called perceived circle of life it, it's it's upside down isn't it we don't expect babies to die we expect babies to grow up and be the ones who you know say goodbye to their parents when they're old and so when you say goodbye to your own baby it's it's uh, it, it's the reverse of what's expected isn't it and so therefore the, the opportunity to create those bonds and those memories is, is even more vital perhaps yeah there's I think I, 
I've spoken about it before and the idea of how you parent a baby after that baby has died and you are still a parent and those continuing bonds are so important. And I think it's, it's something else about healthcare professionals being able to understand or remember that the time that parents have with their baby is huge and it's so important. And at the same time, it's it's a tiny part of that overall grief journey for the rest of their lives. And remembering that, setting that context early on and making that as, as, as I said, as positive as it can be, even though it's, it's definitely not a positive situation and giving parents choice enables parents to continue to make those choices around the parenting of the baby who's died as they go through their bereavement journey. If, if there is a, a midwife who wants to learn more about how they can better serve bereaved parents. Um, and if that isn't something that perhaps their trust is necessarily involved in, are they able to com- come to SANS as an individual? Yeah, absolutely. And to, to- Pick up one of the earlier points, you know, Sands is there for anyone affected by the death of a baby, not just the mother, not just the partner, siblings, grandparents, friends, um, but healthcare professionals too. So they can get in touch with Sands, of course, but also there are online courses that can be um, that can be done. If you go to training.sands.org.uk, you'll find there are training microsite and there's free webinars there, but also on the National Bereavement Care Pathway website which is nbcpathway.org.uk we've got other resources there and indeed there's a link to the e-learning for healthcare modules um, which is a, a portal which healthcare professionals are able to access lots of online short courses and we've got two courses on there for the national bereavement care pathway so they can they can get in touch that way and they can get in touch with me uh, mark.harder mark with a c at sans.com org.uk um and um i can certainly have a discussion with them as to how um, they can get involved and what we can do to help them in their in their trust or board because presumably it's not just midwives and neonatal nurses and because presumably gps it would be useful yeah absolutely so the e-learning for healthcare portal is available to anyone with an nhs.net um uh, email address but actually the bereavement care pathway modules are available to, to all healthcare professionals. So you could easily do that if you're a GP, if you're a health visitor, um, community midwife, not just those in the hospital setting. And indeed the first of those two is open access to anyone. So we would also encourage teachers, social workers, those in the hospital setting who maybe aren't frontline healthcare professionals such as receptionists and porters, to complete that as well. It's just a short 10 minute introduction to what is bereavement. What what do I say when the five-year-old boy in my reception class comes home and says, my mummy's baby's died? What what can I say as a social worker when I'm working with a family who've been so looking forward to this baby arriving and the baby has died? So it really sort of opens that up um, to everybody so that um, just those simple words of, I'm so sorry, what was your baby's name? what can I do to help you? 
and things like that can make such a big difference. So yes, any, anybody can access that first module and then sort of healthcare professionals in, in more detail in, in the second module as well. But there are lots of resources out there as well um, on the SANS website and on the National Bereavement Care Pathway England and the separate MBCP Scotland.org.uk website for the for the scotland mbcp as well um that uh, that can be accessed um that will help uh, healthcare professionals and indeed others who uh, are working with brief families to know what to say uh, and give them a bit of an inkling as to, as to what to do and where to signpost to at that most important of times we felt it was really important that we also spoke to a bereavement midwife to get their perspective. So we caught up with Monica Eve from Frimley Health Foundation Trust. It's quite a new role and not in every hospital, but one that we used to do informally years ago. And then in sort of 2018, it was formalised as a specialist midwife being particularly responsible for bereavement care. And what that encompasses really from from, from our side is that we look up particularly look after these families who are going through some sort of loss but not always personally looking after them when they're in labour so we train all our midwives to be able to offer bereavement care so there's lots of training involved lots of communication involved and then we might be the second midwife or we might be the first midwife with a student or or a less experienced midwife sort of watching us do the delivering in, in terms of hands-on training and then we then take up the reins once we, we probably see the family in hospital regularly but afterwards we then possibly home visit or or text them and and talk to them on the phone and our care really never ends so we don't sign them off as such it's very much if if they feel that their path is getting a little bit easier and they don't need us as much, that's fine. But we're very much there for them and in their subsequent pregnancies, which hasn't been formalised. And in some hospitals this has, but we, you know, if someone wants to talk to us once an early scan or needs some reassurance, we're definitely there for them in that time as well. It's interesting because I suppose with, with modern day midwifery, and I know... Uh, some hospitals are changing or perhaps there's a legislation change but you don't necessarily see it's not like you would see necessarily a patient from the booking appointment all the way through to delivering their baby and so a lot of I suppose midwifery in terms of that moment of birth and the delivery I suppose there's an element of your role which is done by that point when the baby is born and the baby is healthy and well um the baby gets handed over to parents and then parents go off and, and make those bonds. Yet a midwife is so important when it comes to bereavement because it's the midwife that is the person who helps you to bond with your baby. Mm, yes, I, I mean, that's a big part of the role is creating memories in a very short time. And so many of our families say how important that care was and so our, so from our point of view it's really important that um, the midwives are confident about giving this care have the compassion and understanding that there's no right or wrong way in terms of what the parents choose but giving them the choice is really important and making them feel in a situation where they have very little control you know things have happened to them and their baby and you know give 
being able to give them some empowerment so that they can make choices that are right for them and their family is really important and the midwife absolutely delivers that. And a lot of parents that we've spoken to have talked about how they felt at a complete loss. They didn't know what to do Mm. and it's only retrospectively looking back that they realise that they were either grateful that they made those memories or they wished that they had realised those memories were able to be made because there's a lot of parents that we've spoken to who talk about not wanting to take up people's time and mm. oh I've I've had the baby you know I'll I'll go I'll leave the suite for somebody else mm. you know and not actually taking the time for themselves is that something that you see a lot we try our whole sort of position is trying to have no reg- sort of have no regrets ensuring our parents look back on this experience as something and we have had comments about this surprisingly beautiful, peaceful and, and a time that they never expected to obviously experience really as a new parent, but uh, that they cherish. Um, and that's 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 our whole aim. So we don't hear about that so much. What we do recognise is that in the shock, the, the, the initial feelings are quite jumbled and 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 you know there is a lot of shock and possibly numbness so we try to offer time so that and the opportunity to change their mind we always say we're going to give you another opportunity please don't be offended but quite often our parents do change their minds and say we never want to meet our baby we'll just remember our baby as they were at scan when they were alive and you know it's very very individual and that's really our aim to offer that individualized care so from your perspective what does good bereavement midwifery look like well i i suppose that it's uh, consistent across you know hospitals that would be that's important that it's not a postcode lottery that parents get the care that they deserve that the staff are well trained, know the options and can communicate effectively, that the parents feel safe and and that their their space is peaceful and, and welcoming and that they feel they have time with their baby, quality time with each other, enough support when they go home. So it, it's that sort of holistic approach that also every department they come into contact before or subsequently sort of don't need to make inappropriate comments you know know their story possibly so they don't have to repeat it that it's joined up care there's a there's a lot a lot of work that can be done to make it a great part of our care when it comes to the national bereavement care pathway obviously it isn't something that has to be implemented at each hospital and it is taken on board through through choice can you see that ever changing I think that it's definitely gained sort of uh, velocity, really, because we we were a part of the pilot, the second wave of pilot hospitals, and we were able to prove that it made a real difference to have some sort of framework, some sort of guidance, some sort of support, because otherwise, you know, and, and there are differences, there will be, because there are different demographics, different needs in different different areas. But having a common framework, standards and aspirations really make all the difference. And I think the National Bereavement Care Pathway has really made a difference in terms of standards and understanding 
a sort of commonality in terms of what we're trying to offer. And it's increased its profile, which has really helped us as bereavement care midwives to gain support from our our, our seniors. Our, our head of midwifery is very behind us. In fact, at the moment, we're refurbishing our, our bereavement suite, which is because it's 20 years old. So we were a little ahead, but now we're a little behind. So, you know, it, it's exciting that, that there's a spotlight on that. And I would love to think that every corner of the country embraces this pathway because it really adds a consistency which is really important to such a vulnerable group of families that you know we didn't necessarily go into midwifery to to serve because we didn't it's not spoken about an awful lot I mean certainly the bereavement uh, the sort of the week the baby loss awareness week has helped so much and different charities like SANS like Bliss have really increased the profile and, you know, we're, we're excited that this is improving and we can see year on year, well, week on week sometimes, huge strides being made. And what would you like to see in terms of sort of standard training for staff? Because it must be a really difficult area to work in because you have to get it right. And I know you can say that a lot throughout various elements particularly in medicine but you know you 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 are creating the memories and you only have that certain window of of opportunities to sort of create that but also it must be mentally and physically just exhausting and and draining at times to be constantly working in an environment that has such large and such a a multitude of different emotions you're so right and training is incredibly important and a massive part of the training is actually talking about those stresses and strains and sort of talking about how we can best best support our midwives and and training makes all the difference in terms of confidence and that's where parents sharing their experiences and what what they feel went well for them and what they feel could be improved is really helpful for us and that it is a two-way conversation that's really important to us too we as bereavement midwives support staff so if, if they've gone through a particularly difficult delivery it you know, it, not necessarily a bereavement delivery, our door is always open to debrief and, and to talk about things that would make it better perhaps and, and, and things that they, they felt really did go quite smoothly to try and reset that, that, those thoughts. And also I think certainly as bereavement midwives, we have supervision, we have professional support because you need to be able to sort of be refreshed to be able to give and it is giving. I mean, midwifery and actually the medical profession generally is very giving. And I think we've heard a little bit about burnout. And, you know, our lovely families that we care for are often very concerned for us, which feels completely the wrong way round. But I guess it is a two-way conversation. So our last guest is Beanish Nazmin, who is Assistant Professor in Midwifery at Bradford University. Um, she has a special interest in health inequalities and equality, diversity and inclusion. I can tell you every single baby's name who passed. And that's because they also tend to be a memory that stays closely and for me, it has. It's been embedded in my brain. I can tell you 
key elements of caring for, for people who have been through their journey of loss because it's affected me at a different level. So, yeah. Wow. It's incredible to hear you say that because I suppose from the other, other perspective, you know, when you're a parent in that situation, you you know, you don't know what you're doing and you've got no idea what's going on and you've no idea what's happening next. And, you know, you, you do wonder, it's just, is it just a job? And even though you see all the care, if you're lucky, you know, if you're, you know, even though most people will see all the care, that's so powerful that those children made a difference to you as well. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, when birth and, and support and, you know, all of this is your job, you see day-to-day when outcomes are you know what is sometimes considered normal they may not be normal you know we know birth trauma is often not identified and not picked up and maybe perceived as normal etc but having a a child who is born happens more common when there is a loss that's less likely to happen so those outcomes are fewer in your career And because of that, I know for me, it's personally meant that I've been able to remember those individuals, but I've been able to remember their parents and I don't necessarily remember their names, but I remember the conversations we've had, some of the earlier conversations we've had and some of the explorations we've had of what they want to do with their babies when they are born and if they would like blessings and if they would like to invite family or if they would like to have photos, what memories do they want to create? Because baby has been alive, baby has been here, baby is very vital and all of these are going to stay with them. That reminds me of something I wanted to ask you actually about birth reflections, appointments and why they exist. So, uh, and I think this is different in different places. They'll call them different names. They'll call them debriefs. They'll call them reflections. They'll call them follow-ups. But it's an opportunity for you to hear what's happened, um, what has happened in in this experience of yours, in this journey of yours, from a perspective of did we find anything in regards to reviewing the documentation was there any learning that's been happening was there any learning that's just been disseminated what action's been taking on that from that front has there have we found anything that may be linked to why this has happened and that links to you know sometimes having those further investigations that happen after a baby's past and those kind of looking into the results of that and feeding back the results of those but also it's an opportunity to hear again of if you have any questions and and to respond to those and understand how we can, because it might be that you need more support. It might be you're now at a space where you can ask different questions that you weren't able to before. It might be actually that this is the first time where you're actually taking in what's happened because as things are going on, it's often quite too close for anything to stick or anything to settle down. And this might be, it it tends to be after the events and it tends to be at least a a month or two, potentially a little bit longer after, ideally not longer than three months. But I know in COVID there's been some that have been delayed. But 
it, it is the opportunity to get a, an overview, a picture of what's happened from our perspective, but also the opportunity for you to ask the questions because we've only done one element of it. And any questions that you might ask now may prompt us to go and look at things from with a different lens and a different perspective too. Um, we are here to support and care for you and we're accountable to you. So please ask those questions of us. Is there an opportunity to get information further down the line? Because I think at the time in which a lot of these meetings happen, you know, your brain is like a big bowl of spaghetti and, and taking anything in is so difficult. Can you get hold? Is, is that a thing? Can you get your notes? Can you have a Everybody. Thing? Everybody has a right to get a hold of their notes. And actually GDPR is, is, we always think, what is GDPR? But GDPR, when it came in about data, it gives everybody the right to ask for data about themselves. So all you would have to do is put in a formal written request. And when I say formal, I mean, it just has to be in writing. I would like my hospital documentation and folders, and that can be inputted to actually generally there's processes in hospitals. So if you were to ask a, anyone that works in the hospital, who do I submit this request to? They will generally give you an email address. Once you've submitted that, they have to respond within so long and you can actually get your all your records from the hospital back to you. It's the Freedom of Information Act. It's covered under the Freedom of, of Information. So you, you can request all your documentation. And the one thing about midwifery and maternity is we hold your documentation a lot longer, up to 25 years. So with that being held for that length, it means you have the opportunity to go back at any point to ask for that. It also means that any memories that were taken at the time, so hands, footprints, any photos that you had taken at that time, but decided you didn't want to take home, you can still have access to them. Wow. That's, that's huge. Mm hmm so the things that were able to be, be on an A4 piece of paper will be kept with your files and they'll generally be scanned in, etc. But if you want to keep the physical stuff, then you need to talk to the bereavement midwife. However, the fact is you can get those. And I know sometimes people don't take those. And sometimes for cultural reasons, people don't take those. You know, there is definitely some stigma around bereavement and loss in some communities and sometimes there's familial pressure not to have any physical representation of a baby that may have passed within the home because it's a reminder of the loss and the sadness and you should be focusing on moving forward in some communities that can be quite intense so actually you have the opportunity to be able to request that still and you don't have to share that with your uh, with your family It's been really interesting to me how different communities have, how different communities respond differently to baby loss and how for as, you know, as taboo as it feels in, you know, my community right now, it, it's, it's worlds apart from how other people in, in other communities within the UK are having to, to deal with their baby loss and having to keep it secret, as we've heard, and not, not, not publicly grieve yeah it's it's really sad and i suppose you know if we think about it in the uk it was like this about 
you know, a few decades ago itself, that that feeling was still here. And if I'm kind of thinking of it from my immigrant perspective, I actually think it's a little bit linked to intergenerational trauma. So the trauma of our parents and actually the fact that they've lived through hard times and in those losses that they may have had, they had no support because they were having babies through systems or processes that didn't allow for the same level that we, we, you know, we are able to facilitate now. So the recognition of bereavement and and the the trauma and the long-term impact of that wasn't there. And therefore the expectation for them was to get on with it. Mm -hmm. And so often they've either that they've kind of developed a coping mechanism, which sometimes, you know, it can be labeled healthy or unhealthy. It doesn't really matter how you label it. It's it's a coping mechanism. It's a survival technique. And they sometimes disassociate or they turn to faith or they turn to other kind of means that help them gain some peace and some perspective that's helped them survive. And I don't want to say they've healed that trauma because somewhere it's still there. But because it's not been healed, and that's how they had to survive, they've normalised those behaviours. And in normalising those behaviours, they then perpetuate them when their children and grandchildren and younger generations are facing these. Because how, how can, you know, they share their learning to you? And that's what parents want to do. They want to share how, they, how they've done things, and they think that's always the right way and we know sometimes those behaviors are not right and I suppose as well is there an element of if you have had to keep it to yourself to then be confronted again by another generation brings your grief back which you 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 have never dealt with yourself openly it must still feel really painful and so there must be an element of self-protection Absolutely. So, I mean, as a midwife, I often hear things directly from the community I'm from, which is the South Asian Muslim community. And people will approach me with conversations that they would never normally have with the health professionals or raise those concerns directly. And I end up hearing things and it's quite strange because one person will come to me in a situation and they'll start speaking and someone else in the vicinity hears and they join the conversation. And then this has grown and you start hearing everyone's experience. And there's people that have not talked about something mm-hmm. for decades who are talking about it for the first time because a safe space has been created I have a really amazing friend who's called Faiza Rahman and she's one of the co-founders of uh, the Raham Project, which is based, I believe, in uh, Peterborough, uh, but actually supports nationally and they do a lot of online supports. But she also has explained in great detail some of the safe spaces that she's ended up creating and some of the time having people join those conversations who are in their 50s, 40s, talking about it for the first time. Some some people who are in their 60s. And, you know, these are people who have lived in different countries sometimes. These are generally the first generation migrants mm-hmm. who are sharing their experiences from a different country at that time. And they have not spoken about it at all. 
So there is some real unrecognised trauma out there. And how how do you move forward with that? How can we, or, or, or perhaps, what's, what is the route forward with that? Is it to accept it that that's how it is? Is it to try to make inroads to, to, to become more accepting? Oh, so... You know, I, I can look at this from so many different perspectives. You know, from my perspective as a, I mean, I'm generation 1.5. I came to the UK as a child, but from my perspective, I can definitely be the challenge that my family doesn't expect, my my wider community doesn't expect. I can be the point and the person who breaks that cycle. So there's that side of me looking at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a lonely place to be. I talk to my friends about it who are from, you know, uh, looking at it from a healthcare perspective, the midwifery perspective, how do they support? And for me, it's uh, you support them like they're an individual person and you ask that person what they want and they need and you give them that and you try to facilitate it and you try to understand the wider pressures that they might have on, the, on them, which might mean that they actually have something that might be a little bit of a quite an outlandish request, but it's outlandish for a reason and they're trying to navigate a system or, or some pressures that you don't know about and they don't want to tell you about because they think you might not understand so if something is outlandish don't laugh it off i know you don't don't you normally wouldn't laugh it off but don't you know think about it later and think oh that was really weird don't other it think about what might be the reason behind that request and see how you can facilitate it and then from a general community perspective is recognizing that actually we have absolutely normalized loss with the Eurocentric lens. We have now conversations about loss are being ha- are happening at a at you know at this level. We're, we're talking openly about it, but the pictures that are out there, the media that's out there, it's focusing on a white woman, often a, a white heteronormative relationship, and often cisgender and often a very a a very kind of sweeping image is out there but actually all marginalized communities go through this and often they go through this with little representation with little support networks with little what in silence Mm -hmm. and little support So how do we make what's already out there accessible to them so that they might approach us and think about how our branding and marketing and our media needs to be changed so that it's welcoming of all the different kind of communities that we have here? Because we have so much diversity. One of the things that we ask every guest is for their hopes for the future, and it's how we like to to end our our episodes i just wondered what your hopes for the future were my hopes for the future are that people in my community start breaking the cycles of trauma and start reaching out and supporting and just talking about the loss 
in the way we're talking about it right now so that we can help each other heal. Voices of Baby Loss is an under-the-mast creative audio production.